Oh, hi then. This is M.P. Fitzgerald, author of A Happy Bureaucracy, and I'm pretending to play the jazz piano. <laughs> no one is holding a gun to my head to say this, but they are withholding the antidote. Funding for this podcast comes from ebook and paperback sales of A Happy Bureaucracy, the, um, the book. Send a warning to do straight-laced and prudish books on your bookcase by adding paperback copies of A Happy Bureaucracy, Fear and Loathing in the Wasteland, and post-apocalyptic pirates. Just head over to my website, mpfitzgerald.art. Once more, that's mpfitzgerald.art. Fear and Loathing in the Wasteland The Happy Bureaucracy Book 2 by M.P. Fitzgerald Narrated by Gary Bennett Author's Note Strewn between drug use, groin malice, and cursing on a level tantamount to sacrilege are even more gratuitous mentions of bureaucracy. These bureaucratic references may not be for the weak of heart, also, child endangerment. Did I mention child endangerment? Chapter 16 Rabia approached Boyd's van like a wolverine approaches anything, in a straight line, with no fucks to give. This man used a little girl's fear to try and kill the man she loved. The only reason she did not kill him where he sat was because he commanded the only army keeping the slaves safe. She was livid with hatred, but hers was a cool anger. She knew that killing Boyd would be cutting off the head of the tax army. She would have to wait, and wait she would. Boyd was perched atop the van sipping coffee, his focus squarely on the incoming group on the horizon. Robbie gleefully wondered if she could fire the coffee out of his hand with the harpoon gun. She kept her distance. The man wanted her dead as much as Arthur. Hey, she yelled to get his attention. You filthy cheap jack swine, we need to talk. At this point, Boyd was not as offended by the sudden interruption in his work. This was the third time that someone had approached him without an appointment, and he was not at all surprised to find that it was Rabia, Arthur's former partner, that was hurtling abuse his way. What do you want? he said, with binoculars still pressed to his eyes. I do not have time for this. I don't give a fuck what you have time for, you grisly soul-ripping geek. I have information that you need about them out there. Boyd lowered his binoculars and said nothing. His eyes widened in impatience. Rabia took her cue. Here's the story, you spineless and rotten mouth-breathing fascist. I spent my life reading Horizons and their threats. That group out there is at least the size of our army, and well-equipped enough to justify using actual U.S. currency. That last part should scare you. Why should that be unusual? We live in the United States, after all, Boyd replied before drinking some of his coffee. At least we can finally audit someone properly. Is that all, Miss Duke? It should have been. Fuck no, that's not all she said. That is not my only warning. I have seen some ravenous, pus-filled limp dicks out in the wastes. 
but you take the goddamn cake. Boyd had enough of her abuse. His facade had finally fallen. He stood up from his seat, leaving his coffee at his feet, and towered over her on his pristine white van. You cannot speak to me like that. His voice cracked in anger as spittle sprayed out from beneath his mustache. I am your boss, your employer. I am in charge. I can fire you. Why don't you care about these things? Rabia smiled wickedly at his reaction. Finally, she thought, I was getting tired of talking to a robot. With lightning fast reflexes, she cradled the massive harpoon gun and fired it. The harpoon hit the thermos squarely in the center and continued on its path, leaving a tail of rope cord behind it. The impaled thermos arched over the van and landed somewhere out of sight. Boyd's hands shook. His mouth opened but allowed no words or scream. She squared her shoulders. I said, I have a warning for you, tax man, she said with a calm voice. There is nothing you can take away from me that matters except the people I care about. You will not find someone who can kill me. She lit a cigarette and let the smoke obscure her face. If you ever lay a finger on that little girl or Arthur, I will practice trepanation through your goddamn beady, hateful eyeballs and scramble your brains with a rusty ice pick, but only after I give your urethra five extra exit holes with it. The back of the van opened, and slowly Boyd's assistant crept out. Go back inside, she yelled at the man. He did. Boyd slowly sat back down in his chair. You want to fire me? Robbie asked. Good, do it. I can survive without the bunker. You want to put a hit on me? By all means, I look forward to it. It'll help me kill the time picking off your idiots. But you do not touch what is mine. Boyd's voice was low, but calm. Arthur and I have a deal. I don't give a fuck what you told Arthur, she interrupted. This is our deal, and it boils down to this. Do not fuck with me or mine. Got it? She did not break eye contact and instead started reeling in the cord from her harpoon as it traveled across Boyd's feet, who sat paralyzed in a seat. She watched as his eyes followed his impaled thermos and half expected him to reach down and grab it. He did not. With all of his power and his sinister maneuverings, she knew what Boyd really was. He was a coward. He sent people off to their deaths instead of doing it himself. He manipulated children, which wasn't even impressive because they were the easiest people to manipulate. He stayed in the back of his army and couldn't even shout the orders himself. He was always at least one person removed from his dire deeds. He surrounded himself with a shield of civility, posh rules, and societal expectations. They kept him in power. They allowed him to rule. But that shield also insulated him. He had been in the bunker for far too long. Now Boyd sat down. Got it, he replied. Robbie reeled in the last bit of rope, a chore that at this point she finished to save face and picked up Boyd's speared thermos. She poured out what little coffee remained out of its new hole. Coffee is such a filthy habit, she said, still dusted with cocaine. Boyd stayed completely still, his neck merged with his chin. Robbie did not think it was possible to see the man look any more ridiculous, 
But, well, there he was, doing exactly that. His knuckles were pressed white against the arms of his seat, and his belly rose as he inhaled deeply. You're fired, he said simply, then exhaled. No shit, Robbia said, wondering if it was worth the effort to dislodge the thermos from her harpoon. After some thought, she decided that the harpoon had peaked. She would never fire it again in a more satisfying way. This seemed right, so she dropped the weapon and gave Boyd a wide grin. It was at this moment that an agent arrived with the same air about him as a man who walked in on his parents having sex. Um, sir? The agent said meekly. Boyd turned his head slowly to the man, his chin still pressed hard into his neck. Yes, Boyd said, at a level that was barely audible. Yes, he tried once more. Robbie crossed her arms and held her cigarette between her lips. Uh, we, uh, we just got a radio transmission, sir, from the approachers, the agent said, carrying a clipboard in his hand. They did not have the right paperwork codes, but I thought you should see it. He finished with an inflection as if it were a question. The man walked over to Boyd to hand the clipboard to him, and when he realized that he couldn't reach him, and that Boyd was not about to make it any easier for the lad, he read out loud what he had written down. They, uh, they said, good morning, happy to have found you. That was it, sir, that's all they said. Curious and curious, sir, Rabia thought to herself, not able to parse why the colonel's clients, his reinforcements, would be so friendly. Maybe they were mocking them? Maybe it was a tactic, show them how unworried about their forces they were? Boyd, however, reacted more dramatically. He stood upright at once and turned to Rabia. You said they had U.S. currency? He asked her. Fuck you, you fired me, she said arms still crossed and a smile still cut across her face. Then you are unfired, Boyd blustered. What if I don't want to come back, she teased. Did you or didn't you? Rabia took her time. She took a drag off of her cigarette, then looked up at the paper tiger she had properly tamed. She nodded and Boyd climbed down with all of the grace of a man who had never stretched in his life. How does he get up there? she thought. Boyd's demeanor had taken a 180. He was elated, giddy even. He walked up to Rabia, who had uncrossed her arms ready for a fight, and outstretched his arm and offered his hand. Brilliant, he said, with a genuine smile that gave Rabia the chills. Brilliant, well done. You outsiders are crass, but worth the dollar. Rabia suddenly found herself shaking the man's hand. Reality had gone out to lunch. You are rehired. You are reassigned to Arthur. The child can mop the floors. I don't care. This is historic. Tell whomever you want about DeWitt. No one will care after today. He let go of her hand. Their roles had suddenly changed. He walked past Rabia and fired a finger straight up into the air. She sincerely believed he was about to holler, Huzzah! But instead, he declared, To the radio! as the agent with the clipboard rushed behind him. Just as quickly as the agent had come, Rabia was left alone. There was nothing to keep her company but herself, the corpse of Boyd's coffee thermos and used-up harpoon gun, the cowering agent still hiding in Boyd's van, 
and the stale dead wind. What the fuck, she said. About the author. M.P. Fitzgerald is an author and humorist dedicated to injecting the feverish gonzo style into fiction. You can get Memos from the Wasteland, which is the official prequel to this book, free. It contains hilariously bleak office drama, Robbie's diary, and Arthur's last letter from his father. To get your copy, just head over to his website at mpfitzgerald.art. You'll also get free updates on future audiobooks and more. We hope you have enjoyed A Happy Bureaucracy by M.P. Fitzgerald, narrated by Gary Bennett. Text copyright 2019 by M.P. Fitzgerald. Production copyright 2021 by M.P. Fitzgerald. Music by Dustmice. Available on all streaming services and dustmice.bandcamp.com.